Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Sapphire and I have a conversation about poverty and universal basic income. Content warning, we have a conversation about poverty and universal basic income. We talk about BC housing, accessibility, minimum wage in Vancouver, and more. Ultimately, the middle class and wealthy folks who can afford it might say, hey, just move out of the city. But until there's a grant that pays for your moving costs to get out of the city, that's not even really an option for a lot of folks. Not to mention the anxiety and challenge that comes with disruption to a job when you're living, you know, hand to mouth as it were, paycheck to paycheck. So keep in mind that UBI could be one solution that could replace a lot of the bureaucratic social net costs associated with all the various different programs and actually reduce the barrier to people getting support, which, while it may sound undesirable to a lot of capitalists that are very um, focused on efficiency of budgets, reducing the barrier actually means people get the money that they're supposed to get to lift them out of poverty, which... I mean, when you think about it, being locked into a cycle of poverty isn't really good for the economy and it isn't really good for neighborhoods and ultimately contributes to homelessness as well. So with all that light stuff out of the way, we're going to have this conversation now and, you know, keep in mind how much we pay into employment insurance and welfare and persons with disabilities. When we're talking about UBI, we're not necessarily talking about paying absolutely everyone in the country a huge amount of money, we're talking about combining all the systems that exist and finding ways of funding better systems that are more efficient and that fundamentally work. Anyways, neither of us is a financial expert, um, even though both of us have done a lot of reading. Um, neither one of us is really an expert in any of this. We've just done a lot of reading. But if you enjoy learning more, there is tons of great content online. There's tons of great research um, options available for you if you Google UBI. Um, but I will be quiet now and let Sapphire do most of the talking. So as much as possible, enjoy. I am of the opinion that not only does universal basic income need to happen, I think it needs to happen in a way that it is not tied to anything or anybody else. Like right now, I cannot right. get, I cannot get persons with the I can't get PWU persons with disability benefits right because I'm in a you know commonal relationship with somebody who makes too much money by their by their standards yeah that's so, that's like, trash it is trash it's total trash you know and I I you know my mom my sister both my older kids and a number of other people I know were on PWD again it's like they can't be in a relationship without possibly losing their benefits unless they're with somebody who is also on PWD or income right. assistance. And yeah. so like if they set up universal basic income where it's like, okay, if you're in a relationship with somebody who makes X amount of money, you don't get benefits. That is, that is not fair, especially for, you know, this is how folks like me, you know, assigned female at birth 
get stuck in abusive relationships. Totally. I mean, my previous marriage, I was with him for almost seven years, you know, and the first few years were good. And then about three years in, I realized that it was not good. (laughs) And I had, oh yeah. And I had, I I didn't, I had no way to get out. He was my income source. You know, my, my, you know, when, so income, I don't know if the rules have changed because this has been a while since I've actually looked at the rules for income existence. So take this with a grain of salt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think they have changed, but if you are, a parent of a child under the age of six, you can be on income assistance and not, income assistance and not have to look for work. So really? when you're on, oh yeah, when you're on income assistance, you have to look for work and you have to provide jobs. You have to fill out forms showing that you're actually actively looking for work every month, and you have to fill out your stub every month showing that this is you know all the income right. that come in and and uh, and when I um first broke up with my younger two's bio dad they made me which i'm kind of glad of mm-hmm. it was frustrating to deal with at the time but i they made me um apply for child support so the kids are like well they're you know their their dad their bio dad needs to support their you know his kids i'm like sure sure <laughs> okay you have to do this otherwise we won't give you money i'm like okay i guess i am <laughs> wow so those things are tied together then yeah yeah, so it was like I had to fill out the forms. I went to court. We got a, a court document saying that you know my my ex Alex had to pay me X amount a month for as long as the kids were you know living with me into the age of nineteen. That's the only income I have currently right now is the ninety six dollars and fifty nine cents I get a month from my ex's child support because Gray is eighteen and is not nineteen yet. <laughs> right, just turned eighteen. I don't get child tax anymore either. I used to get child tax. That was my other bit of income was is getting child tax. What's you get, child tax? Child tax is like you have a kid, a biological kid. You can adopt a kid too and get child tax. Um, but if you have a biological child and you are the parent of that child, I know of people who are single fathers who have run into issues around this, being a single father and the mom not being in the picture. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other topic of subject of why I get mad at the government. <laughs> <laughs> But if you are the care soul give care soul caregiver, that's the words <laughs> of a you know child under the age of eighteen, and depending on your income, you get a certain amount a month um, as a benefit for helping to raise that child from the government. Mm-hmm. So it's based on your income. Um, so when the, when I was making less money, I got more money from the government. Makes um, sense. Just before I was getting not quite $300 a month, which is not a huge amount, but not to sneeze at either. Well, especially in terms of like clothing and feeding a kid, like it helps. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there was times in my life I got more money from the government, but that was also when I was on income assistance and not basically had, you know, um, no money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that helped. Um, but you know, as soon as the kid, as soon as your children turn 18, they're considered no longer children by the government Mm -hmm. and you don't get child tax benefits. (laughs) Gray turned 18 in January. Right. And so (laughs) you don't. Yeah. My last check was in January because he turned 18 on the uh, 28th 
and child the child tax day is always the 20th or thereabouts like if huh. the 20th lands on the weekend it's the friday before <laughs> right yeah so like that is that was part of you know part of the money i counted on uh to help you know pay bills and and buy groceries and that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. i don't have that now anymore and so i think that like this is why I think universal basic income is is not only something that needs to happen, but it also like is like there. And I and I, I know this too from experience. Where there's there is a gap, seems to be a bit of a gap in support for young adults. Right. Um. Like. <laughs> so you turn eighteen, and suddenly the government thinks you're an adult, and is like, and now what? <laughs> Yeah, no, there definitely yeah. is definitely if you don't have a disability, if you aren't, you know, if you haven't recently been laid off from working for a consistently period of time, if there isn't a pandemic on like there, there's so many systems of support. But you're right. Young adults, definitely, if they have nothing that they're specifically struggling with, do not have much support. I no, suppose. I mean, it's part of the reason why, 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 you know, Ash is still living with us at, at home because he's 20. Right works you know one day a week one to two days a week but there's no way that he could support himself on that not not in vancouver (laughs) well that's the thing is even working a full-time starter job like at the paint store um Mm -hmm. or we're still you know begging groceries or something Mm -hmm. um we do have like minimum wage has gone up what Mm -hmm. is minimum wage now do you you know what it is because there was uh it just went up again i was making just over minimum wage when i stopped working which was 14 77 an hour it's gone up since then it's over 15 dollars, but i can't remember the change <laughs> right yeah i can't remember the change either but i figured it was around 15 dollars, so yeah. not too it's, far off it, it's a little bit above 15 dollars, but i'd have to look up the exact amount um right so the minimum wage is now thirty thousand dollars a year for someone who um is working full-time mm-hmm. that's not that's not bad like that's it's not bad <laughs> it's doable but... It is doable, but not, it is, not easily. No, no, it's not. And and especially in like, if you want to live in the city of Vancouver, which, you know, living outside the, the you know, like if you're living outside the GVRD, the greater Vancouver regional district, which is mm-hmm. it's a big area. <laughs> it's a big, yeah, it uh, is. that whole area is a big, big chunk of land. But like, if you're, you know, like, the city of Vancouver, the city of Burnaby, the city of New West, the city of Richmond, the city of North Van. I consider that the core main groups of cities right. of that most people want to live in. In this region, yeah. Yeah. All of them have pretty high rent. There's a few exceptions to that. You have to hunt for it. Um, but if you're making minimum wage, you might be able to find you know, something um, – in those areas within your budget but then is it then you have to consider and this is where i've been in my life too is like you have to consider okay if i'm living here and working here i have to fact in factor in transit time right, and costs right. yeah so minimum wage is about 2400 dollars a month mm-hmm. rough and ready mm-hmm. um which means in that you've got to somehow figure out vancouver rent which is always crazy it's like supposed to make up 
mm-hmm. something like 20 or 30 percent of your income but you know vancouver rent even if you're living on your own like you might be able to find a room for 800 850 bucks somewhere in there but like yeah. if you wanted like a bachelor suite to yourself because you didn't want to live with a roommate which is like i can't believe the idea of living in a bachelor is considered a luxury now but you know you've oh. got to be spending 1200 dollars. like that's half yeah, your that's about average for a bachelor to one bedroom right Um, so you'd be spending half of your income just on rent and that's that's your after-tax income right because you're still going to pay taxes on that minimum wage Mm -hmm. so even if you're only spending about 10 percent of that on taxes let's say maybe three grand it might be more than that but uh Mm -hmm. all right let's let's actually do the the gedanken the full-on thought experiment here i'm going to look up a tax calculator what would the taxes be like on minimum wage? Okay, so in BC, I'm going to put in $30,000 of employment income. Yeah, so your total taxes owed would be $2,754. That's $2,000 of federal, $700 of provincial in BC, and then $1,800 of CPPEI. So it's about $4,600 in tax. Oh, right, $2,754 is just the tax portion, not the CPPEI. So you'd spend $4,600 in taxes on... Uh, $30,000 income. So yeah, so it's closer to like 15%, but mm-hmm. uh, right, so now you just lost 15% of that income, right? So instead of yep. um, what, what were we saying? That's $4,500 out of right 15%, so off of $2,400, that would be what? Like $360 that you'd lose? Mm-hmm. So you have 2000 bucks a month, then your rent yep. is $1,200, so you've got yep. $800 left for everything else. Everything that else. includes that includes transit, transportation. So if you've got a bus pass, it's depending on how many zones you have to go. That's like a hundred bucks right there. Yeah. Like you're starting to look at like six, seven hundred dollars just like for food, clothing, and like your whole budget is that. Yeah. And you that's know, working full time. TV, your phone. If you have a cell phone, most people right. have cell phones. Yep. No, it it all it all adds up. Yeah, that's got to be a hundred bucks right there. Yeah. So like it's it's doable to yeah. to work full time and live in Vancouver in a bachelor, but uh, but it is it is you can't you can't go you can't make a mistake you know you really can't no. make a mistake too much either way. No, it is most people who are making that kind of money, or even just above that money, are one maybe two paycheck checks away from being homeless. Yeah, I mean, that's a terrifying thought, but yes, I suppose yes. to some extent we are. There's also a decent shelter system in the city, but it's not, it could be a lot better. It's it not as secure. Whole, the, the, okay, this is my personal opinion on the shelter system, because I've had sure. to act, try and access it a few times in my life, being okay. homeless. Yep. Is that people say, oh, there's a, there's often wait lists. Um, so, like, if you knock on wood... <laughs> become homeless end up being homeless and you had to walk out your door today or tomorrow uh, most of the shelters available in the city right now are already full for tonight yeah they might even be already full for tomorrow night that's pretty uh, especially brutal, but this fair time enough. of year this time of year is like there are they open more shelters over the winter because they're trying to get people off the street when it's really right. super cold Right. Uh, but this time of year, when it starts to warm up and the season is changing, it's starting to get into summer and spring and summer is like there are places that end up closing because they just can't. There's not the money to support them. Mm-hmm. That they're short term. Uh, and yes, there has been a significant amount of um, 
social housing being like transition housing and social housing that has been built over the last year to two years three years since we got the ndp in mm-hmm. there was a a um what's the word crud it went up quickly it was um prefab that's the word prefabricated building that went up just on the right. road for us for like um transition sort of not quite shelter but not quite long-term housing just down the road from us uh, that went huh. up a few uh, the beginning of the the year so it's for people who are like who were in shelter and they're trying to transition into permanent housing so it's like they can right. live there for i don't know how long because i haven't really looked fully into it but i know it, it, it's there and this is what it exists for is to help people bridge that gap between being on the streets and in actual shelter shelters into being more into more permanent housing and there are also housing assisted housing where people who are on pwd like my mom and my sister and my daughter and my niece all live in uh, a building that is um a long-term sort of shelter where it's like it's all all the units are shelter rate mm-hmm. so you can go and live there and, and stay they've been there for like as long as i've been living with scott at least or seven years at least maybe longer mm-hmm. uh, and they live there they both have my mom has a you know there it's a bachelor suite my, my, my mom has a bachelor suite. My sister has a bachelor suite. I mm-hmm. think my daughter and niece are sharing a bachelor suite. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all shelter rate. Um, so oh, wow. Think, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, again, it is like there's a wait list. So you have to sure. you know, apply for it and hope the spot gets open. You know, the, the average wait list for BC housing right now. So BC housing is that the the in the overall group um government body sort of thing that um manages and mandates and looks over all the sort of affordable social housing Mm -hmm. out there in all of bc the average wait time is anywhere between five to ten years to get a spot jesus so you just have to be homeless for that time if you're going to be a homeless person getting the benefit yeah and this is this is for anybody who's like anybody who's um, homeless, underhoused, low income, right. PWE seniors, all the people who are under. I, I don't know what the poverty line is right now, but anybody who's like low income or under the poverty line, these are the people. It you mm-hmm. know I was I was in BC housing for a long time. I'm I'm still getting subsidy through BC housing right now. Um. Mm-hmm. Because we were just reapplied for it because I <laughs> don't have any income. <laughs> Thankfully, they approved us. <laughs> so yeah. Because we live in a co-op. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so co-ops are pretty co-op fantastic. Right are co-ops government-based? They're not, right? They're nonprofits, technically, kind of. They're, right. They can... Co-ops are independent. They can receive funding from the government like we have a significant amount of amount of units and and subsidies for our 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 co-op like right you know they you know co-ops can receive funding for a percentage of their uh units from the for for subsidy from the government you know so they can have spaces for people who are low income and on pwd and on income assistance so they, they have places to live but it's because 
but they can't have everybody because then the co-op's not profitable then and right. because we're you know the, the whole idea behind a co-op is that we kind of in a sense we when you first get into a co-op you co-op you pay your membership shares so you're buying into the co-op right and that buying into the co-op means you get to have a say of what goes on in the co-op so every big decision that and this is something that i'm very familiar with because we're in the middle of being redeveloped okay is <laughs> that like every big decision that happens in the co-op the membership has to agree on it like you you right. can't like because there is not a landlord there's not a single person or an entity or or right. uh, it's like a strata yeah, kind of yes similar to a sense it's, is that like um there is not a single individual person or a company that runs the building that can say okay i'm going to evict you for x amount right. of reasons whatever we're raising the rent that can't happen in a co-op because the membership has to agree on raising their you know shelter right rate. the 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 housing charges is what it's called in the co-op. It's, it's basically mm -hmm. rent. Uh, so any like big decision has to be agreed on by the membership, which also is challenging sometimes. Is getting any group of people to agree on stuff can be challenging. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I love my co-op, and I'm very, very thankful for it. And in fact, I just got elected to to my co-op's board. Congratulations! Thank That's you. exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> but, yeah. I um I was looking up shelter um like warming shelters mm -hmm. and like what the COVID nineteen um, response mm -hmm. has been because mm -hmm. it just occurred to me I'm like oh right um they had to activate warming shelters this year mm -hmm. so for folks who don't know what those are um they're extreme weather responses so mm -hmm. in the event that there's some form of extreme weather like the temperatures at or below zero degrees or feels like zero degrees with wind chill that's zero degrees celsius so it's the temperature water freezes at i don't know what that is in fahrenheit don't ask me <laughs> um but the <laughs> yeah right rainfall of at least 50 millimeters in a 24-hour period that is equivalent to one-fifth of an inch for those who love fractions in imperial <laughs> Very close to one fifth of an inch. I think zero is twenty degrees Fahrenheit. I have to look it up. It's 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 cold, but it's not super cold. Right. Um, I would want yeah. to be out overnight in zero degrees weather on the streets. <laughs> yeah, it would not be fun. Um, and basically, so any conditions that make it impossible for people experiencing homelessness to remain dry. Um, so they're basically concerned about any extreme weather that could be a threat to life. Mm -hmm. um, and then they just activate warming shelters and homeless folks can go and warm themselves in warming shelters, which is nice. Yes. There's also like warming centers too. So not only just over the night that the, the open places like gyms and, and, and um, public spaces oh. like schools and stuff during the day. So people can go and grab like a cup of soup or, or, or hot chocolate. I know this because the school that my kid was at, kids were at mm -hmm. uh, Britannia often have a, had a warming center there at the, because there's a big community group of buildings there. <laughs> there's the yeah. school. There's a high school, an elementary school, a library, a pool, an ice rink, a teen center, a youth center, a senior center. I think I'm missing a couple of things. <laughs> I, a, it's a big group of buildings. I remember Britannia because Britannia is where I went to get pro bono legal support from the Legal Society of BC. Yes. Yeah, they're great. They're really nice people. And I love the idea of having that core of like civil services sort of provided um, for people in a city, like to have that community center of buildings. Yeah, it's being redeveloped. 
hopefully into more community buildings. What's it being redeveloped into? Well, because uh, I know this because, again, kids, school. Yep. yep. We used to live in the neighborhood. Uh, right. The, the, the... <laughs> We're moving back eventually. <laughs> um, the, the high school, the original building was built in 1910. The expansion on the high school was in the 60s. It is an old building. <laughs> it, it just, it needs to be like, uh, you know, they've done seismic upgrades over the years and stuff. It just, it is not meeting the needs of the school, the student body right now. And it, I don't know what the exact plans for it is. The same with the elementary school is like, I'm not sure exactly when it was built, but I think it was sometime in the sixties. That whole sort of complex area was built you know, around then. Sure. And so it, it's, it's starting to show its age and they wanted like, you know, revitalize the area to draw more people in because over the years is that the, the um, demographics of that area, uh, because the high cost of link of living in Vancouver is driven out like families and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. From totally. The area. So yeah, like the, student body population of Britannia High School was less than a thousand kids. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which I was super grateful for because that meant my kids were both in pretty decent class sizes. Even in, even in Delta, I was in a school of 1500 kids when I was growing up. Yeah. It's just, it's the demographics of the area. Right. No, no, it's, the like, drive and just drive adjacent commercial drive it's a road right in in a neighborhood in in vancouver and it's very popular um it's very it's popular just the cost with... of living has gone up around there oh that, i see that young um families parents. And, and yeah young-ish families or even mm. parents teenagers just can't really afford to live in that area right uh, there are a number of co-ops, but most co-ops I know, including ours, have no openings. Wait lists are full. There's just not enough space. Yeah. Co-ops are too good of an idea. <laughs> well, part of it is that, like, in the 80s, there was a bunch built. Like, right. back when the NDP was still in, they were in charge back then, too. Is that right. There was a bunch built in the late 70s, mostly through the 80s and into the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And then the government changed and basically co-ops stopped being built to an extent, pretty much. Um, but there are starting to be rebuilt. There's like new stuff being built now and have mm-hmm. been built in the last few years. There's one that um, just down on South Marine Drive, uh, Fraser View Co-op that just finished and is open and taking applications uh, that is uh, – built it was built and is being run by the same people who are helping us be redeveloped which is the community land trust which is the development arm of the co-op housing federation of bc those mm-hmm. are the people who is in charge of all the co-op housing in bc um so there is being there's plans in the works to build more co-ops i can't remember the what the government promised to build over the next five to ten years but is is a significant amount it is not enough but it is a significant amount. Um, And and I will try and get off my pedestal, but this is why (laughs) I, I, one, I live in a co-op. Two, I've lived in subsidized social housing for pretty much my adult, you know, for the last almost 14 years. Um, But when I went to school and started studying interior design, I discovered my passion. (laughs) 
my passion is I want to design more co-ops and more affordable social housing because totally. there's just such a lack in the city. I, I got digressed from universal basic income, but this all ties in, you know, right. I, Reasoning. I, you, know, you know, it all ties in together. Like if you have universal basic income, if you have actually affordable social housing, if you have, you know, proper me- mental and medical, you know, benefits, you know, that include like vision care, dental care, f- proper far- fair farmer care and all that stuff. Th- those things together can really lift people out of poverty. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is the goal, too, is like you said, the transition. It's not about having, you know, um, better conditions for mm-hmm you know, the symptoms like being homeless, having Mm -hmm. a shelter to go and live in. It's Mm -hmm. about how you get from there to re-entering a state of like autonomy and society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is like, you know, it it is, it, to a degree, it is good that, you know, there is income assistance and PWD. I think there's a significant room for improvement. Like the rates definitely need to be changed and upped. We're we're too rich of a society not to do this. Like it's not expensive to do this. No. And there's been, I saw an email from the other day from the NDP. They're like, we, you know, they're proposing more studies on universal. We've done enough studies on universal basic income, and there has been. There's been so many studies done on that. Mm-hmm. They've just been done, like pilot projects in like Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and I think there's been a couple in yeah. BC about showing like they take a small group of people, put them on a set <laughs> income for this amount of time, and they do great. How many yeah. times do we need to do this to show that this is a good idea, and that it is actually, you know, affordable too? People are going to want to study it for a long time, but the fact that there's even money going into studying it and that people are really saying, like, you know, this would reduce a lot of administration costs with all of our social net, like, you know, we could make it like one, two, or maybe at most three programs. Even that sounds like a lot of bureaucracy, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you could tier UBI. You could do all kinds of, you know, income-adjusted UBI if, Mm -hmm. if you really didn't want to do UBI for every human being, which I actually think is probably better and yeah. yeah it would have to come out of tax income so we could theoretically raise taxes i mean it's not like the middle class folks are really paying that much in income tax no no i mean i i've maintained the argument for many years is that if we actually taxed the the wealthy the actually wealthy and the uber wealthy yeah within like a, within a reasonable amount even like you know 10% of their income, which is not a significant amount in the general scheme, it seems. But if you tax somebody, you know, like, um, what's his nuts? Jeff Bezos. Bezos. That's him. The face, I know he's American, but I, he's a well-known name. Sure, you're talking about, like, super wealthy folks here. I don't know if we have quite the same amount of income disparity in I, Canada. I know. There are, there are a few. Um, I'm oh, sure we do have Jim them, Patterson. though. He's Canadian. Yeah, that's... And he's from Vic, he's BC. That's true. He is. He's local and he is a millionaire. He's definitely made, re- done really well for himself. Yeah. He, I, I know he, he owns Savon. He owns Urban Fair. He owns, there's a whole bunch of stuff that are, he owns yeah. and, he's, and he has significant wealth. If we, if. Yeah, very much so. I, you know, and there's other people too, but 
he's the first that came to mind. Right. And you're not even talking about like the eat the rich strategy of taxing assets. You're literally just talking about increasing taxes only on income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, well, I, mean... <laughs> I, I would agree with you that I think higher taxes for the uber rich are a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the thing is that is, and, the, and this is the income disparity is that people who have more income are able to have, you know, teams of lawyers, teams of accountants, people who, right. you know, work their money so that they don't have to pay as high as taxes. They, they have that, you know, luxury, that ability to do that in their lives so that they can, you know, have as much money as they have. Whereas people right. who are in poverty or low income or even middle, middle income, we don't, don't have the luxury of going out to hire an accountant or go out to hire a tax right. professional or, or you know, any of that ability. Some people might be able to, but not. Yeah, everybody. that's true. Um, you know, we you you might be lucky enough to you know have an accountant in your family. I was married to one. Sure. <laughs> you know, there are there are those cases out there, um, but. Not everybody has that luxury to consult with somebody. Most of us, like like you just said, mentioned a little while ago, is like, found a free software online that does all my taxes for me. Yep, it's true. And, well, that's great and lovely and wonderful. And I think it's amazing. I love that technology. But yeah, it, it is not the same as a, you know, a human who is, you know, trained and educated and does this. And for how to save it. you the most amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm feeling like we've sort of talked a lot about UBI, um, BC housing. We talked a little bit about minimum wage budgets, even. We've had a lot in. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Sorry, go for it. I was just saying, in my opinion, it is all tied together. It's like if you you have, you know, if you have able to, you have people who are able to not only, survive but actually have a little bit of spending cash in their money in their pockets mm-hmm. they're they're more likely to take that money and turn it back into their communities you know you know the the saying goes is that like if a million dollar gives a million dollar person a millionaire has a million dollars and they make ten thousand dollars on that million dollars they're just going to turn around and put that back in their savings they're probably not going to spend it they might unlikely but if you give the, some yeah. a regular average joe if they have an extra hundred bucks a month or even a couple hundred extra months a month they're likely to like go out to the movies take their family out for dinner you know buy you know some clothing with that you know they're more likely to invest back into their local economy i i think so too i think the um the idea is more that if rich people are richer, they'll be more likely to create jobs. But mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's necessarily true. I mean, $10,000 isn't enough to, you know, like a lot of a lot of the income percentage rates is like if you're the lowest of the low, then you can you can secure a lot more new business. Mm-hmm. But that isn't a winning strategy for any community because then everyone just fights to have the lowest possible taxes on mm-hmm. corporations. And then the payoff isn't that great. Like, yeah, you're going to get some corporations for sure, but Mm -hmm. you have to stay in the lowest position to continue to get those, those new entries. And what you end up with is you end up with some States or provinces that just have 0% um, corporate taxes, which fortunately in Canada, we haven't got there yet, but the race for the bottom isn't worth it. Yeah. And, And that is another discussion too, is that, 
I'm just speaking specifically on individual taxes, not corporate taxes, not sure. corporate taxes, not business taxes. That is a whole different subject. Slightly, right. it is related, but like just individual taxes. And this is the other thing: is like people often think like you know, like Jim Pennison, for example. Yeah, he does probably has personally has a significant amount of income from all his assets. But also, mm-hmm. all his assets are tied up in all his like businesses too. It's like, and those businesses are able to write off a lot of that taxes because they are businesses and corporates, corporations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So his personal taxes may not actually be all that much because, you know, his worth and value is in all those businesses. Right. So he's able to, you know, use that as like credit and and clout to be able to you know go and buy a car or a house or whatever. Sure. So I yeah, talking about business and corporate tax is related, slightly adjacent. And I also think that how we tax businesses, especially large corporations, needs to be changed too. Mm-hmm. But you well, know, just speaking specifically for individual taxes, I also think they need to be changed. <laughs> sure, I think most people have things they would like to see different on in taxes in general. I, I think the the mark of success is when you sort of have the same number of people complaining about opposite things, then you sort of get to a place where you're like, oh, this is probably like a terrible compromise for everybody in society. Wonderful. <laughs> as, as opposed yeah. to it being more um, supportive of certain classes of individuals. Like if, if, you know, people are fighting, if more people are complaining about lowering taxes than raising taxes, that kind mm-hmm. of, to me, that's like the, the normal state of things. Yeah. Yes, I feel like that's. A, I agree with you, and I feel like that's a good place to end that conversation. Yeah. Um. So, did you want to call it there? Or did you want to do another one? Uh, is there what else could we talk about? Did we have anything else we wanted to talk about? I was going to talk a little bit about gender stuff, but I was like, mostly I'm like, I have heat. I was, I get, you know, I get riled up and and passionate about. Sure. Uh, the unfair treatment of people in poverty and how how marginalized communities are treated mm-hmm. when they're in poverty and it's more often that marginalized communities are in poverty yeah so it gets me you know it boils my blood so how did you like it intimates Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com slash intimatevictor. You can tweet me at intimatevictor. You can follow me on Instagram at intimatevictor. Pretty easy, right? If you can spare the cost of a cup of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a good review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords and played by an AI saxophonist. This closing music is Gymnopédie, number one by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time and may your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions. Be well.